hello everyone. Uh, my name is Sam Foster. For those of you that I haven't had the privilege of speaking to or having a conversation with yet, I'm one of the youth pastors here at Richmond Anglican Church, or more importantly, at Restore. Uh, you won't actually be seeing heaps of either me or Mickey up here on stage throughout this term, because as we've said, and hopefully you guys are aware of by now, we are asking big questions this term, and we wanted to get some other people up here to answer some of those big questions for you guys. Tonight we are asking uh, for some people what is one of the hardest and most difficult questions when it comes to God and what He means for our lives. Tonight's question is, how can a loving God send people to hell? Now, I should have some slides up there ready to go for you guys, and this will mainly be so you guys can follow along with some of the Bible passages that I'm going to talk about. But before we go any further, I know Mickey has already prayed, but I would love to pray again. Please join with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that when we have big questions, we know that you are a big God with big answers. And so, Lord, please help us to turn to you for the answers to our question tonight. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Now, as I said before, this is a question that plagues a lot of people. It is a question that most Christians at some point will, and to be honest, should ask themselves. And it is a question that makes sense, and it's a question that cares deeply for people. The statement kind of behind this question, the assumption that this question is making is that it doesn't seem like it's loving to send someone to hell. It doesn't seem like a loving thing to send someone to hell. In fact, it seems unloving. It seems like an unloving thing, especially to that person, to send them to hell. This question, as I said, is a question that cares deeply about people. In 2021, just last year, 60 million people died. That's 165,000 people each day, 6,863 people each hour, 114 each minute, and just under two every second. People are dying constantly, and if we were to take a conservative number, uh, we would say about 30% of the world's population is Christian. So 70% of the world's population from a Christian perspective seems like it's heading towards the end that is feared by this question. And so as we explore an answer to this, we're going to have to do a couple of things. We're going to have to define some terms and we're going to have to understand who God really is. There are two things we're going to have to define in order to answer this question. Can I get the next slide up, Lockie? The two things we're going to have to define are obviously hell and one that you might not have thought about, sin. And then there are three things that we're going to need to learn about God. We're going to need to learn that our God is good, He is just, and He is gracious. And the way we're going to do this is we're going to do these things by looking to the Bible. And it's going to feel like we're jumping all over the place, but when we come to the Bible with a question, it's important to look at each verse that talks about what that question talks about. 
to not make assumptions about what we think the Bible is saying, but actually to look at what the text says. So that's what we're going to do tonight, and that's what you're going to do in your responses. We're going to be exploring what God's Word says. Firstly, it seems like this is cutting out whenever I turn my head like that, maybe. Maybe my shirt's covering the thing. Someone run me a handheld mic if it starts to be too annoying. Uh, firstly, what does the Bible say hell is? Our first one. Can I jump to that next slide? There we go. Uh, there are lots of different times in the Bible where it talks about hell. And the person in the Bible who talks about hell the most is, in fact, Jesus Christ himself. And I think a great verse which gives us part of a picture of what hell is, is the one that's up on the screen, Matthew 13, 49 through 50. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping and gnashing of teeth, a fiery furnace, an unquenchable fire. Other times, Jesus refers to this as the outer darkness. You can find that in Matthew 22, verse 13. The language used to describe hell is so strong in the New Testament, and it's honestly heartbreaking and terrifying. But in order to actually think about what hell is, we need to also think about heaven. If we think of heaven as being in the presence of God then hell is the opposite of that. It is being apart from God, being separate from God. Pop culture will often paint hell as this red, almost nightclub kind of place with rock music and a cute little devil holding a pitchfork uh, who's just essentially a DJ. Uh, and that's what kind of TV shows want to tell us that hell is like. But the picture that the Bible gives us is far more horrifying this is far more terrifying. But you might be sitting there and asking, why does it need to exist? And why might anyone get sent there? And that's when we need to look at our second thing. That's when we need to define our second term. And we need to go back to the very start of the Bible. We need to go back to the very start of the Bible, Genesis. At the very start of the Bible, we have this creation story with Adam and Eve where God creates a good world and puts mankind on it to be his image bearers, to bring glory to him. But ultimately, mankind fails. They do not live up to the way God asked them to live, and then it sets up this problem. The beginning of the Bible sets up this problem that the rest of the Bible is going to be solving. And that problem is called sin. Adam and Eve fall short of the standard that God gave them. They don't do what they're supposed to do. And in doing what they weren't supposed to do, they actively do what they should not do. They take authority for themselves. They say to God, I want to live my life my way. The word that the Bible gives, as I said before, is sin. Sin is fundamentally, at its core, it is rebellion against God. And it's a serious problem. If we look to what the New Testament, what Paul, 
a writer of the New Testament has to say about sin and its effect for mankind and what it means for you and what it means for me, we see that everyone has sinned and everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. But what is the penalty? If we've fallen short, what does that mean? Well, it means that there has to be a punishment. If we've done the wrong thing, there has to be a punishment for doing the wrong thing. And that punishment is death, but not just death. Death and separation from God. So with those two things, with those two things, hell as a place of judgment for sin, and sin as something that everyone does, we learn something about our question. We learn that because of sin, because of the brokenness of our world, Every single person is on track for hell. Every single person on this planet, every single person that has ever lived is standing... Testing, one, two, three, there we go. Every single person on earth is standing on the same boat, the same boat that is sinking to the bottom of the ocean. Sin is a far worse problem than we often realize. And this is where an error in the question we asked right at the start, makes itself known. Because it's not that a loving God might send some people to hell. It's that everyone, you and me, your friends and family, my friends and family, my wife, we're all on track for hell. We're all aboard the same ship. And I don't know about you, but that is terrifying. When I read in the Bible that the punishment for sin is hell, and when I read in the Bible that everyone has sinned, and I know in my life that I don't even live up to my own moral code, right? I have an idea of what's good for me to do. I have an idea of what I should do in every situation, and I can't even live up to that, let alone to God's standard. That is terrifying. Because it means that when I'm asking this question, how can God send someone to hell? I'm actually asking, how could God send me to hell? And this is where it's really important for us to step back and ask, well, who is God? Who is God? There we go. It seems like my mic just kicked in. Um, and what we learn when we look at God is we see that He is good. We see that He is just, and we see that He is gracious. And each of these three things about God change our perspective on hell and sin. Firstly, God is good. In Psalm 119, uh, verse 68, you are good, and what you do is good. The psalmist is talking about God. And again, in Mark chapter 10, verse 18, no one is good except God alone. In His goodness... God is so good that He sets the standard for what is good. And in His goodness, He is also a perfect judge. Can I grab your other mic, Mickey? This is great. We're really, we're really burning through them tonight. Um, oh, wow. This, is, this one's very loud. Here we go. In His goodness... God is also a perfect judge. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, 
He is the rock. This is talking about God. His words are perfect, and all His ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is He. We read in 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 6 to 9, God is just, and He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with His powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. I'm blasting through big sections of the Bible in order to hold up these two things for you, in order to show that God is good, but also God is just. Does everyone here know what a judge in a courtroom is? Everyone know what a judge in a courtroom? Anyone heard of Judge Judy? Yeah, a couple of people. That's exactly what my mind pictures when I think of a judge. So let's imagine a court case with Judge Judy for a moment, but it's not a TV show. She's actually just in a courtroom. Uh, imagine a case where there is a rich businessman, a rich businessman. He's got lots of money, and he is on trial because it seems like he has got all of this money by stealing from his employees, by stealing from the people who were giving him money in the first place. And the evidence is clear. It is clear for everyone to see that this man is guilty. This rich businessman has done terrible things. And now imagine we get to the end of the trial. All the evidence has been put forward to the judge, and the judge looks at the evidence, and he goes to read his sentence. And he looks at the rich, seemingly evil man, and he says, not guilty, you're free to go. There would be an uproar. People would be so angry. You can imagine the outcry of anger towards this judge. There would need to be questions, right? Because this man has clearly done something wrong. The judge would need to be questioned. And now imagine someone higher than the judge asks the judge, why did you let that man go free? And the reason that the judge gives is the judge says, well, it's because I am a good judge. That wouldn't ring true. That wouldn't seem true. Because we know that in a case where someone is clearly guilty, in a case where someone has clearly done the wrong thing, it is not good to say that that person is not guilty. We know that to be wrong. And in fact, it's a great miscarriage of justice. And so because God is good, and because God is a perfect judge, as such, it is right and it is true for Him to judge. And at this point, like when we were establishing what hell was and what sin was and what it leads to, at this point, you might again be feeling a bit nervous. I know when I think about this, about the nature of hell, God's judgment, the weight of my own sin... It's heavy. But the final thing about God which changes this whole discussion is His grace. In Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11, we learn something about God. 
Yes, he is good, and yes, he is a perfect judge. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, declares God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? We said right at the start that our question is one that cares for people. Well, we learn that God cares for people. In fact, God cares for people way more than you or I could. He cares for people so much that He provided a substitute. He provided someone else to take the place for the good and proper punishment that everyone deserves. He sacrificed His only Son, Jesus, as a substitute for us, so that His perfect justice could still be fulfilled. But people can also be saved from hell. In Romans chapter 8, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free. In Ephesians 2 verses 3 to 5, like the rest, just like everyone, we were by nature of wrath. But because of His great love for us, because of God's great love for us, who is rich in mercy, He made us alive in Christ when we were dead in transgressions. So what we see on this journey that we've been taking together as we've walked through the Bible, because of sin and our rebellion from God, because of our desire to live our own life and be our own king, the punishment is to ultimately get what our desires long for. Isn't that so poetic? The punishment for wanting to live life away from God is eventually getting what we want and living life away from God in hell. It's not our loving God that is responsible for people going there. Rather, it breaks God's heart that as the good and perfect judge, He has to punish the wicked. He would much rather people turn away from that. And so what did He do? Well, He provided a way. He provided a way for people to turn from their own wickedness, for people to turn from hell, knowing that there was nothing we could do to save ourselves. We're all standing on that boat. And so what did God do? He provided a new boat. And captaining that boat is a man by the name of Jesus. In Romans 10 verse 9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you can just trust in the captain of this new boat and get on board, then you'll be saved. This is 100% free. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, that you need to do to earn this gift. You don't need to fix yourself before coming to Jesus, because honestly, you can't. God sacrificed His own Son that you might live. So that in the court case where you should be found guilty, when the judge should be saying, take him away, 
take her away. Jesus is tried instead. And when the judge looks at Jesus, he doesn't see your sin. He sees Jesus' perfection. If you've never thought about this before, I would encourage you to think about what Jesus means for your life. Because we know that we are not good. We know that we are not perfect. And so, therefore, we can't live up to any standard we set for ourselves. We can't live up to any standard that God sets. And so, if we keep trying and trying and trying on our own to get out of this sinking ship, we're going to drown. Are you willing to pursue your own goals, to pursue your own ends for your entire life on the vague notion that it'll be right? Or are you going to find out what Jesus has done for you? Are you going to search for the answers? Or are you just going to rest on, oh, I think it'll be okay. I think everyone, everyone's fine. This is fine. There's nothing wrong. How can a loving God send people to hell? Well, actually, as we've seen tonight, everyone is already going to hell. We're walking ourselves there. It's the loving God that's provided a way to avoid it. Let's take him up on that offer. Please pray with me, uh, and then we're going to break into our discussion groups, and you guys are going to meander your way back along that biblical path. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you sent your Son so that we don't have to deal with the punishment for our own sin, so that even though there might be consequences here on earth, for the fact that we are not perfect, for the fact that we constantly stuff up, for the fact that we can't seem to be the people we want to be, even though we might have to bear the weight of that now, we don't have to bear the weight of it for eternity because your son died for us. Please help us, Lord, to take him seriously, to take our own sin seriously, and to take hell seriously so that we might avoid it altogether. And Lord, please help us to reach out to those around us, to share the good news of this new boat, of this Jesus who offers salvation. In your Son's name we pray. Amen.